Chapter Thirteen of Marjorie Dean, High School Sophomore, by Pauline Lester. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ashley Jane. Chapter Thirteen, in defence of Mignon. Here are two letters for you, Lieutenant," called her mother as Marjorie burst into the living room, her cheeks pink from a brisk run up the drive. After leaving her schoolmates, Marjorie had set off for home as fast as her light feet would carry her. She managed to keep to a decorous walk until she had swung the gate behind her, then she had sped up the drive like a fawn. "'Oh, lovely!' cried Marjorie. "'Your permission, Captain?' She touched her hand to her hat-brim in a gay little salute. Her spirits had been rising from the moment she had left the girls, carrying with her the precious security that they were now banded together in a worthy cause. Surely the snarl would straighten itself in a short time. Mary would soon see that she intended to keep her word about being friends with Mignon. Then she would understand that she, Marjorie, was loyal in spite of her unjust accusations then all would be as it had been before perhaps mary wouldn't be quite her old sunny self for a few days but the shadow would pass it must why it's from connie she cried out in surprise as her eyes sought the writing on the uppermost envelope it was in constance's irregular girlish hand she hastily tore it open and read dearest marjorie Last night at my dance I didn't know that father was to be concertmeister in the symphony orchestra. It is a great honour and we are all very happy over it. He kept it to himself until the last minute, because he knew that if he told me I would insist on going back to New York with him for his opening concert. But I'm going with him just the same. I shall be away from Sanford for a week or so, for I want to be with him until he goes to Boston. I'll study hard and catch up in school when I come back. I wish you were going too, but later in the season he will be in New York City again. Then Auntie says she will take you and Mary and me there to hear him play. Won't that be glorious? I'll write you again as soon as I reach New York, and you must answer with a long letter, telling me about school and everything. I'm so sorry I can't see you to say good-bye, but I won't have time. Don't forget to answer as soon as I write you. Lovingly, Constance. Marjorie's cheerful face grew blank. Certainly she was glad that Connie would experience the happiness of hearing her father play before a vast assemblage who would gather to do him honour. Nevertheless, she was just a trifle cast down over the unexpected flight of her friend to New York. With a start of dismay, she remembered that she had intended going to see Constance with the object of clearing away the clouds of misunderstanding. Now she would have to wait until Connie returned. And then there was Mignon. She felt that it would be hardly fair to begin her crusade without consulting the girl whom Mignon had wronged most deeply. She had perfect faith in the quality of her friend's charity. Constance was too generous of spirit to hold a grudge. Through suffering she had grown great of soul. 
still it was right that she should be asked to decide the question if she refused outright to sanction the proposed campaign for reform or even demurred at the proposal marjorie was resolved not to carry it forward even for mary's or mignon's sake suddenly she recollected her adjuration to the girls to gain their mother's consent before going on with their plan her brows drew together in a perplexed frown had not mary threatened in the heat of her anger that if marjorie told her mother of their disagreement she would never speak to her again how could she inform captain of the compact she and her friends had made without involving mary in it her mother would naturally inquire the reason for this rather remarkable movement she might be displeased as well as surprised over mary's strange predilection for the french girl her captain knew all that had happened during her freshman year on that memorable day when she had leaped into the river to rescue marcia arnold and afterward come home a curious little figure clad in jerry mace's ample garments the recital of those stormy days when she had doubted yet clung to constance had taken place she recalled that long confidential talk at her mother's knee and the peace it had brought her all at once her face cleared she would tell her mother about the compact, but she would leave out the disagreeable scenes that had occurred between herself and Mary. I'll tell her now and have it over with, she decided. What makes you look so solemn, dear? Her mother had glanced up from her embroidery and was affectionately scanning her daughter's grave face. Does your letter from Connie contain bad news? I hope nothing unpleasant has happened to the child. "'Oh, no, Captain. Quite the contrary. It's something nice,' returned Marjorie quickly. "'Let me read you her letter.' She turned to the first page and read aloud rapidly Constance's little note. "'I'm so glad for her sake,' she sighed as she finished. "'But I shall miss her dreadfully.' "'I suppose you will.' Good fortune seems to have followed the Stevens family since the day when my lieutenant went out of her way to help a little girl in distress. Perhaps I'm a mascot, Captain. If I am, then you ought to take good care of me, feed me on a special diet of plum pudding and chocolate cake, keep me on your best embroidered cushion and cherish me generally, laughed marjorie with a view toward turning the subject from her own generous acts the mention of which invariably embarrassed her and give you indigestion and see you ossify for want of exercise under my indulgent eye retorted her mother i guess you had better go on cherishing me in the good old way decided marjorie but you won't mind my sitting on one of your everyday cushions just as close to you as I can get, will you? Reaching for one of the fat green velvet cushions which stood up sturdily at each end of the Davenport, Marjorie dropped it beside her mother's chair and curled up on it. I've something to report, Captain, she said, her bantering tone changing to seriousness. You remember last year and Mignon LaSalle? Mrs. Dean frowned slightly at the mention of the French girl's name. 
mother-like she had never quite forgiven mignon for the needless sorrow she had wrought in the lives of those she held so dear marjorie caught the significance of that frown i know how you feel about things dearest she nodded perhaps you won't give your consent to the plan i that is we have made but i have to tell you anyway so here goes mignon lasalle went away to boarding school but she well she was sent home and now she's back in sanford high again this afternoon jerry irma susan muriel harding and i went together to sergeant's for ice cream while we were there we decided that we ought to forgive the past and try to help mignon find her better self the only way we can help her is to treat her well and invite her to our parties and luncheons if she finds we are ready to begin all over again with her perhaps she'll be different we made a solemn compact to do it provided our mothers were willing we should so to be very slangy it's up to you captain but suppose this girl merely takes advantage of your kindness and involves you all in another tangle remarked mrs dean quietly it seems to me that she proved herself wholly untrustworthy last year i know it marjorie sighed she would have liked to say that mignon had already tied an ugly snarl in their affairs but loyalty to mary forbade the utterance then brightening she went on hopefully if we never try to help her we'll never know whether she really has a better self sometimes it takes just a little thing to change a person's heart you are a dear child mrs dean bent to press a kiss on marjorie's curly head and your argument is too generous to be downed i give my official consent to the proposed reform and i hope for all concerned that it will turn out beautifully oh captain marjorie nestled closer you're too dear for words there's another reason for my wishing to be friendly with mignon mary has met her and likes her mary mrs dean looked her astonishment by the way marjorie where is mary i had quite forgotten her for the time being you didn't mention her as being with you at sergeant's she wasn't there explained marjorie she didn't wait for me after school she must have gone on with with someone and stopped to talk i i think she'll be here soon a hurt look of which she was entirely unconscious had driven the brightness from the face marjorie turned to her mother mrs dean was a wise woman she discerned that there had been a hitch in the programme of her daughter's daily affairs but she asked no questions she never intruded upon marjorie's little reserves she knew now that whatever her daughter had kept back had been done in accordance with a code of living the uprightness of which was seldom equalled in a girl of her years she therefore respected the reservation and made no attempt to discover its nature what are you going to do first in the way of reform lieutenant she inquired brightly well i thought i would invite mignon to my party the one you said i could give for mary i'd like to have it next friday night friday's the best time we can all sleep a little later the next morning, you know. Very well, you may, 
assented Mrs. Dean. Does Mary know of the contemplated reform? No. You see, I hated to say much to her about Mignon, because it wouldn't be very nice to discredit someone you were trying to help. Don't you agree with me? I suppose I must. But what of Constance? That's the part that bothers me, was Marjorie's troubled reply. I'm going to write her all about it. I know she'll be with us. She's too splendid to hold spite. I think it would be all right to invite Mignon to my party, at any rate. But there's just one thing about it, Captain. If Connie objects, then the reform will have to go on without me. You understand the way I feel, don't you? Yes, I believe you owe it to Constance to respect her wishes. She was the chief sufferer at Mignon's hands. The confidential talk came to a sudden end with the ringing of the doorbell. It's Mary. Marjorie sprang to her feet. I'll let her in. Hurrying to the door, Marjorie opened it to admit Mary Raymond. She entered with an air of sulkiness that brought dread to Marjorie's heart. Oh, Mary, where were you? she asked, trying to appear ignorant of her chum's forbidding aspect. I was with Mignon LaSalle, returned Mary briefly. Will you come upstairs with me, please? I'd love to, Lieutenant Raymond. Thank you for your kind invitation. Marjorie assumed a gaiety she did not feel. Without further remark, Mary stolidly mounted the stairs. Marjorie followed her in a distinctly worried state of mind. The quarrel was going to begin over again. She was sure of that. Mary stalked past the half-open door of Marjorie's room and paused before her own. "'I'd rather talk to you in my room, if you please,' she said distantly. "'All right,' agreed Marjorie, with ready cheerfulness. She intended to go on ignoring her chum's hostile attitude until she was forced to do otherwise. Mary closed the door behind them and faced Marjorie with compressed lips. The latter met her offended gaze with steady eyes. "'I heard you and your friends making fun of Miss LaSalle this afternoon, and I am going to say right here that I think you were all extremely unkind. She heard you, too. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, Marjorie Dean.' "'Why, I don't remember making fun of Mignon,' exclaimed Marjorie. "'What do you mean?' "'Then your memory is very short.' sneered Mary, but I might have expected you to deny it. It was Marjorie's turn to grow indignant. How can you accuse me of not telling the truth? she flashed. I did not. She stopped, flushing deeply. She recalled Jerry Mace's humorous remark about Mignon as they stood talking in front of her locker. I beg your pardon, Mary, she apologised. I do remember now that Mignon's name was mentioned while we were standing there. But it was nothing very dreadful. We were saying that if Miss Merton heard us talking she would scold us, and Jerry only said that if Mignon chose to sing a solo at the top of her voice in front of her locker, Miss Merton wouldn't mind in the least. Everyone knows that Mignon has always been a favourite of Miss Merton, 
I am sorry if she overheard it, for truly we hadn't the least idea of making fun of her. It was Jerry's funny way of saying it that made us laugh. I'll explain that to her the first time I see her. Mary's tense features relaxed a trifle. She was not yet so firmly in the toils of the French girl as to be entirely blind to Marjorie's sincerity. Her good sense told her that she was making a mountain of a molehill. There was a ring of truth in Marjorie's voice that brought a flush of shame to her cheeks. Still, she would not allow it to sway her. "'It wasn't nice in you to laugh,' she muttered. "'She was dreadfully hurt. "'She feels very sensitive about being sent home from school. "'Of course she knows she deserved it. "'She said so, but—' "'Did she really say that?' interrupted Marjorie eagerly. "'I'm not in the habit of saying what isn't true,' retorted Mary coldly. "'Listen, Mary.' Marjorie's face was aglow with honest purpose. I said to you, you know, that if you wished Mignon for a friend, I would be nice to her too. Captain has promised to let me give my party for you on next Friday night. I am going to invite Mignon to it, and we are all going to try to make her feel friendly toward us. She won't come, predicted Mary contemptuously. I wouldn't either if I were in her place. I shall tell her not to come too. Then you will be proving yourself anything but a friend to her, flung back Marjorie hotly, because you will be advising her against doing something that is for her good. With this clinching argument, Marjorie walked to the door and opened it. Whether I say a word or not, she won't come, called Mary after her. But Marjorie was halfway down the stairs, too greatly exasperated to trust herself to further speech. End of chapter 13. Recording by Ashley Jane.